When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the Oscar-nominated visual effects team for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Stefan Caretti, Alexis Wajbrat, Guy Williams, and Theo Bialek. I'm going to tell you something. I'm Star-Lord. I formed the Guardians, met a girl, fell in love, and that girl died, but then she came back. Came back a total dick. Oh, please. He left out some important information, but that is the gist of it. So this uh this had some kind of record, I think, both in terms of VFX shots and also in terms of although they're a different team in terms of prosthetics used. So this was um pretty massive scale on both counts i think i read what does this have like 3300 vfx shots does anyone have a number for me yeah i have a number it's actually 3066 but you know if you count the shots that we didn't finish because we we cut them out it's around three through 3300 and um, actually we're doing the christmas special at the same time which was about another 600 shots that we did <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was it was a lot of work, and 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 I want to talk for our friends at Legacy and all the makeup team, but they did break a record apparently on in terms of you know the number of prosthetic uh, appliances they've done. You know, it was kind of crazy um, the amount that they've done for the film. Yeah, I was sad that they weren't nominated along with you guys. Uh, yeah. You know, but I'm glad at least your your wonderful VFX work made it in. So. You know, I want to I want to start by asking Steph Soretti, you were with the first Guardians and I think you, you were working on Doctor Strange when they did number two. Yes, yes. But you're back now. James Gunn has come a long way, I think, in his career as a filmmaker. And I imagine with it, his his style of mm-hmm. shooting for VFX has changed a little bit. So tell me a little bit about kind of working with the evolved James Gunn on this production. It was very interesting because, you know, I had worked with him on the first one, uh, obviously already a very accomplished filmmaker, but, you know, it it was, it was really good and very prepared, like he's very, very prepared. But then coming back after all these years and, and seeing how he has evolved in terms of the way he's staging um, his scenes, um, the way he's filming them, you know, it's uh, Henry Bram is cinematographer now is is dp uh who's also the uh the uh, operator for the the a camera they have these little very little tiny camera that are very very good at moving around getting really close to the action um so that was a bit of a change and that that was a you know a little a little different from what we had done on the first film which was a little bit more classic in terms of the way we were filming stuff and that has its own challenges because you know it's a a free camera constantly moving around, very difficult uh, tracking match move to to do things that I had experienced a little bit on uh, on Eternals that I did before, where mm. we were a little bit in the same kind of like run and gun kind of shooting. But on this one, it was really, really intense. And also the way it was directing the actors was a little different. It was way more 
present, you know, going on the, the God mic, as we call it, and just talking to the actors during the takes and getting them to improvise and all that stuff. It was it was very interesting to see the evolution of James across the years. I learned a lot by just sitting next to him again for the, the duration of the shoot. I'm sure you did. And obviously, you know, it's, it's very cool that you were on set and involved so extensively. You know, I got a I got a full house today here with this team. And as I understand, they had to bring in Weta, Frame Store, so people from a variety of groups. So who do I ask about Cosmo the dog in particular? Who's Cosmo's Alexis. baby? Alexis Frame Store and uh Okay, yeah, Alexis. I would love to hear about designing Cosmo the dog. Well, I, I need to, to give credit to Stéphane Nazé, who is actually the VFX support from Store Montreal, who did, uh, helped in uh, creating uh, Cosmo. So it was funny because Cosmo, we had to, we needed the asset for the holiday special, actually, which was before the movie was released. So we needed Cosmo very early on. And uh, and so we, we pushed hard to build Cosmo. So basically, uh, Steph, uh, uh, and James had a, had a real dog on set, which oh, was wow. uh, which they casted at Cosmo. Uh, of course, he was not wearing the suit, uh, and uh, and of course, he was just there as a referent. Uh, I think Steph and James made the call very early on that they were not going to be shot with him, and we were going to fully uh, recreate it in CG. But we went to, so they scanned it, and so it was a very much uh, a one-to-one match to the dog. And actually, our exercise was to try to cheat James and Steph and showing two versions, one which is real, one which is uh, our CG dog, make them together, which one is which. I think as to, uh, and as soon as you lose and you don't know which one is which, that's where we, we know the asset is in a good place. So, so that, that's the build. Then, of course, there were the design of how he speaks and the speakerphone, and I think the design for the speakerphone changed a few times, and the way the, the, the wave of sound, or the curve was being displayed. So there were a lot of little details that evolved during, uh, during Garden of the Galaxy, all the special in the movie, uh, but it was all of that. I think then the challenge was mostly his animation, and finding the right style of animation, uh, it was clear for Steph and James that he needed to be acting as a real dog. Even if he can talk, everything we, we, we took from was trying to find real reference of real dog and doing different actions. So if he's uh, pu- pushing something, let's find the dog pushing something. If he's pulling, if he's doing, like we all, if he's screaming or if he's anything, we were always trying to find references of real dog to make sure that we get uh, we get the, fa- the, the feeling that it's a real dog, even if he's talking and all that. And then subtly put a bit of the actress into it, but very subtly, just to make sure that it could be believable. So Cosmo is one of the characters, actually, that is the most similar to the real dog, basically. But mm-hmm. then, Steph, you can, you, can, you can continue what I'm saying. Yeah, and the, the thing that James wanted to very clearly tell us when uh, we were working on the animation was that, contrary to Rocket, who is a talking raccoon, who can speak with his mouth, She's just doing telekinesis and she can speak through the speakers, but she's not, you know, her mouth is not moving. Right. And because he wanted to separate the backstory of Rocket, which is that animal that has been literally, you know, 
<laughs> operated on and change and there's all these kind of like implants and all that stuff that is that is the story of of how he became rocket raccoon from being a real a real raccoon initially and the pain he's gone through um so that is not the story of cosmo so it's it was a way to very clearly separate you know the, the the experimental animals that the the high evolutionary has been working on and their story and the, the the abuse that they've been going through and the story of Cosmo which is a very different backstory um, and 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 that comes the back to everything that James and the, the attention that James uh, uh, has on every single aspect of the film is that it's storytelling has to be very clear and the backstory of every character has to be very clear and everything we do visually and animation and all that stuff it needs to serve the story so it's he's very attentive to all these things to make sure we're not derailing you know the main topic for each character and we're not mixing things that shouldn't be mixed you know it's it's that's where you have a director that is very focused and and you know i was we were talking about james a little earlier and that's the thing with James is so good and he has such a good handle on the story and everything he's been writing that for us in terms of visual effects, it makes it much more simple, not simple, but much more um, stable and much more efficient that we have a director that knows what he's talking about pretty, pretty much. That's that. Yeah. And, and that's why we are able to achieve that level of quality because we, we have more time not trying to figure out what we're doing, but just, making things happen and polishing them to the degree of 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 what you can see in the movie all right so you brought in uh weta as well and i believe i read that weta worked extensively on kind of the final battle and that includes the uh the beastie boys no sleep till brooklyn scene so uh i was hoping that guy could tell us a little bit about putting that sequence together uh we did it in like two months it was real easy <laughs> <laughs> No, um, early on, Steph started talking to us about whether or not we could do the Lunar. Um, and this is like over a year before the movie was going to be finished. Everybody knew how hard it was going to be. And everybody paid that proper respect so that the stunt people did a lot of upfront planning. Uh, cinematography did a lot of upfront planning. The entire production team did a lot of upfront planning and then communicated that to us very well. So that as we sort of got into the process... We're not just taking what they've done, throwing it all away and putting it back together. Um, the, you know, but even with all that planning, I mean, to, to give you an idea of just how insane this shot was, to give me with all that planning, it still was incredibly, incredibly challenging to pull off just for the simple reason that you want to have it be a very interesting action scene. So you're doing a lot of speed ramps. You're going up and down from 24 frames a second all the way up to 120. So that you can get these, you can slow down on moments that you really want to accentuate. You can, you know, relish in Rocket firing the gun as he's spinning through the air. You can relish on, you know, Quill pushing the trigger and and having the three guys get sparked out. You know, so the whole thing is shot at 120 frames a second. So even though it's a two and a half minute long scene, we start with 12 minutes of footage. We have to take all that. We have to run it all. We have to match move it all. We have to camera track it all at 120. Um, and then we, you know, in the animation side, Mike Cousins and his team have to take all that, figure out how to collapse it back down to two minutes. And this is before we even get into the fact that there are 18 stitches. There are 18 points where the camera just, the camera and the action just don't line up. Right. They have to collapse it back down to two minutes, figure out where all those speed ramps are so that as we're, you know, because once again, 
no sleep to Brooklyn, we have an endpoint and an outpoint. We we know exactly how long the scene has to be. We can't go a frame over or under. So for this to work, every time you want to do something, you have to account for that time somewhere else. And then once all that's figured out, then you have to go into the all the 18 stitches or the actually 17 stitches because 18 shots. But the the 17 stitches you have to go through and you have to figure out, well, the camera's here in one shot and here in another. It's a full meter away. How are we going to hide that? How are we going to make that work? And you you don't want it to be like every other movie where there's a you know there's 17 instances of somebody slowly walking past camera so that you can totally change what happens in the background. <laughs> so we're getting into every single one becomes its own little moment in time where an entire team of people sit around and talk about how we're going to achieve it. There are a couple of easy ones because it's Rocket and Groot, so they're all CG. So if we need to hijack the camera, we can easily hijack the camera because we have the hallway. But some of the ones with, like, there's one where Mantis swings off the arm, lands on a guy's shoulders, and then backflips him. The stitch there is dead center of the stunt. It's, you know, they're both full size and frame. She lands on the shoulder in one shot, and then you cut to another shot where she flips over backwards. Their performances don't line up perfectly. His hands are on her, you know, knees at one point and not on the other. So we know right then and there that they both have to be digital so that we can augment the mm. the handoff and and fix the camera work. So there's a lot of that going on. We're trying to stay faithful to the plate. We're trying to stay faithful to the timing. But there's all this mechanical stuff going on. And then on top of all that, you're also just trying to make the scene really cool, live up to what the stunt team and the actors have done on the day and add little moments, little flourishes. Mike put a lot of effort into making sure that every laser blast hit a wall as part of the, you know, he set up a metronome of the beat of the soundtracks so that all the laser bolts, all the gunfire, all the swings kind of land on an action or a sound beat so that it, it all sort of just builds upon itself. Yeah, no, that was funny. It was only possible because Steph talked to us so early on and gave us the right amount of time and then worked with us throughout the entire process to help figure it out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Theo, you're part of Sony Pictures Imageworks. Uh, so what was Sony tasked with and which elements in particular the film sure. was Sony tasked with? Uh, like, like the other vendors, we worked on a, a whole bunch of sequences and characters throughout the film. But probably the bigger focus for us was the Orgoscope space station. So that's the oh. meat-based space station, both interior and exterior. Other things of note would be uh, Counter-Earth when um, the planet's self-destructing and Gamora is taking off with the Bowie to sort of rescue everybody. Uh, we, we worked on those as well, which was quite difficult with all the explosions and destruction and things like that. Hit me with one. I would love to hear about kind of this environment you built. Oh, for the, for the space station? Yeah. yeah. That, that was a real really big challenge. I think when Steph showed us the concept art, I, I, I'm not sure if he was more worried or we were about whether or not <laughs> we were going to be able to... Um, sort of pull it off but just because the design is so is, is meant to be so grotesque and and off-putting um and you know it's gonna be challenged because you're seeing it really far away and then you go really close right to the floor of it and you have shots that are from far all the way pushing in so a lot of the cheats that you can do you know when you just see something far away and close up you can't really do because you, you need to actually push in all the way through uh so technically it was a challenge to deal with with something that's computationally expensive to render like a like like organic material is with subsurface 
luckily, you know, computers have gotten faster for the years and our renderers have gotten more sophisticated. So it was definitely something that was in, within our means, but it still was really challenging to deal with all the all the noise and stuff like that. But yeah. artistically, probably it was the bigger challenge was just like, you know, how do you how do you compose a shot um, when you have dialogue in the foreground and you want to have something that's gross, but not too gross? Like, how do you how do you balance it? And how do you lay out those various components so that? you know, the, the audience member isn't distracted and they're still looking at the right thing, but the stuff that's in the peripheral vision is still, you know, compelling and interesting. So that that probably was more interesting and definitely the steepest learning curve on it. I can't imagine. Um, yeah, having something that's made of meat is, uh, you know, unless you want to be David Cronenberg, probably not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. talked about David Cronenberg a little bit. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, you know, it was, we looked at so many, I mean, Theo and his team and also Beth Mickle, our production designer, we, we looked at so many references of meat and stuff like that. I mean, it, it was pretty rough sometimes. Oh, yeah. I, I even remember, Theo, you you burnt yourself. <laughs> yeah, I did. I have a scar on my arm from it right here. Yeah. Did How did you burn yourself? Yeah, it's, a, it's always interesting, you know, as a, as a, in visual effects, that she always surprises you what you find yourself searching on YouTube for reference, like everything from... You know, in this case, a lot of a lot of surgery and that type of things that would show you oh. organs and things like that. But on uh, on Christmas of all days, I ended up spilling a, a bunch of boiling water on my arm, and it soaked in on a on a long sleeve, and just I had this terrible burn and this giant boil that was just Let's huge. But you know, I was taking photos of it, putting it up to the light, and sending it to the crew and to staff, and be like, "This is perfect. This is a great example of what we should do for this part of it." <laughs> Part of it, yeah. Oh, bro, it was so professional. Like it was, you know, in absolute. Oh God! Sending me a picture of it. So is that a good thing for this? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! Like, you know, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, just go. Just go to the urgent care. I think is what Steph yeah. told me, but. <laughs> oh my God, that is, uh, you know, I guess honestly, James's roots with like trauma entertainment. Yeah. You know, this is really yeah. going back home. Well, there's another big sequence, and I guess, Steph, I'll ask you about this, and then I'm not sure who else worked in this, but the stampede yeah. of all the animals. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was actually uh, Alexi and his team uh, who worked on that, but that was uh, that was a huge sequence, you know, that the, the, towards the end of the film when, when Rocket finally ends up freeing everybody from the Arete, and uh, you've got that Noah's Ark kind of moment. So, I mean, it was one, I think, one of the most challenging in terms of you know, getting it, being able to render it uh, and animating everything, you know, because it was not just like a simple crowd scene. It was like things that to happen, you know, people, actors carrying stuff. So how do we do that? We had a ton of plushies that we bought. Actually, we had a full room filled with plushies and I was giving, you know, a video was actually of, of me giving stuff to Palm to carry and to all the actors to carry. And then, um, you know, they could, they, could, they could have something physical and feeling that they were doing something instead of carrying nothing. And then also choreographing everything. We had like monkeys riding the back of a of a tapir. All kind of crazy ideas that we came up with uh, that, you know, it's not just a crowd shot. It's like everything is, is bespoke and animated specifically for the craziness of the moment. Um, I mean, Alexi, you can talk about it, but like it was it was uh, one of the big highlights. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely a crazy 17 shots, I think, with the animals running, but it's really, really complex. There were a lot of people on set as well. So it's not only our guardians, which we had to very closely body track, sometimes uh, change their, their, their arms and all of that and everything they were carrying. 
but it's also a lot and lots of roto of all of these actors because the animals are doing through all of them that they are trying to to save them and direct them through through nowhere. So it was it was a huge amount of work, and of course the ship is exploding as well, and the the whole ship is shaking and everything, and all the animals need to react to that. So and then and then and then oh let's have some ability. Matching yeah. the 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 variety and lending and the, the just the ability itself is a very complex asset. They were not oh, initially. Not. By the way, they were not in the story initially. We did. We were one day. I was. I goes to. I go to Jim. I said, "So what's going on?" You know, we had seen the Abilis fighting. You know, uh, our guardians and everything, and then ending up, ending up being you know friends with them. And then I was like, "What's happening with the Abilis? Are they going to just float out of the thing?" And and Jim was like, "Oh." Yeah, we forgot the abilities. <laughs> so I, I, I said, well, okay, I guess we're going to have to put them in there, right? Uh, as everybody's going out. And then that created that big moment of like the abilities kind of falling down and crashing into the thing and, and escaping, you know. But I, we wanted to make sure everybody was safe, like everybody would go out and be saved. Um, so, and, and, and yeah, huge animation challenge. There were birds, small animals, big animals, everything you can animate, we add. And lots of animals interacting, which is a sort of bomb thing. And so a crazy animation challenge as well as an effect challenge. Great, great cameo. There's a cameo as well from Eagly, right, Guy? Um, I mean, Alexi at Framestore had to do it, but it was uh, it was Eagly from Peacemaker that, that Guy had worked on before. And that's just there, landing on the head of Groot. <laughs> There, uh, <laughs> there is a second. There is a second cameo as well, Steph. Yep. There is Eagly on Groot, and the second one. Do you remember River the dog? Yeah, River the, the Simon Simon Hat, our one of our producers on the film, has a dog that everybody loves, and we built it as a CG dog, and dropped it in oh, there, right. and he's escaping the RT as well at the same time. But uh, it's the kind of crazy things we do, you know. <laughs> This sounds like a fantastic production to be on. Well, guys, I could pick your your brains all day, but I, I've been told I'm out of time. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. And, uh, you know, I, I know the whole world enjoyed seeing your work in this quite a lot. So best of luck next month. It's kind of a wide open Oscar race. Anything could happen. You know, it'd be cool to see you guys see the MCU finally get a VFX win. Who knows? But uh yeah, congratulations, guys. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the visual effects Oscar-nominated team for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Stefan Coretti, Alexis Wajprat, Guy Williams, and Theo Bialek here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is up for your consideration for Best Visual Effects at this year's Academy Awards. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time.
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.